Is Joe Manchin really about to sacrifice democracy itself on the altar of him getting reelected? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for Central America is based on an economic model on foreign investment and foreign profit, on the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand, much too much of a role in this country, and without them knowing what it was doing. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy, and uh, that people don't feel they can do very much. I speak tonight for the The ideal political state is dancing in the streets. The often harsh or at least tedious economic dictates of the workaday world are for a moment let go because something really good and meaningful has happened. People gather in the public square to rejoice and celebrate the freedom from fear and most importantly, unify in a brief magical sense of community and new hope for a better future. Such heady political moments are exceedingly rare. There was dancing in the streets across America and the world on that Saturday when it was announced that Trump was gone and Joe Biden would become president. Memories of such brief joy and optimism slowly fade, but they keep us going after the celebration, as they must. Well, getting elected was the easy part. Making the Biden-Harris agenda a reality is the major challenge now. As our guest today, Michael Winship, writes, despite Joe Biden and Kamala Harris being in the White House, we remain in existential peril. Strong words, existential peril. And it's not just the cult of personality, Republicans, but an evenly split U.S. Senate. And as the old saying goes, it's not your enemies you got to worry about. It's your friends. Of course, we're talking about Democrat, and I use that term advisedly, Joe Manchin. In his new essay, Michael Winship addresses the West Virginia alleged Democrat, Senator Manchin, killing the filibuster won't destroy democracy, but you might. Michael Winship is our guest today. He's the Schumann Senior Writing Fellow for Common Dreams. Previously, he was the Emmy Award-winning senior writer for Moyers and Company and BillMoyers.com, a past senior writing fellow at the policy and advocacy group Demos, and former president of the Writers Guild of America East. Well, thanks for being with us, Michael. It's been a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, the last time was, gee, last spring, and we were talking about the post office. Oh, yeah. Well, we still got to get rid of that guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start by defining terms. Everyone is familiar with the word filibuster. Right. Originally, in the mid-19th century, it meant something quite different. An irregular military adventurer, specifically an American, engaged in fomenting insurrections in Latin America. That was a mm-hmm. filibuster, of course. That's and not- and that and that actually, and preceding that, I believe it was a Dutch word that had to do with piracy. That's right. Uh, yes, you know. Yep. And uh, <laughs> it's still piracy. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think I think most most people of a certain age, at least, I think a lot of people associated with two different things. I think one of them being the movie Mister Smith Goes to Washington, 
oh, in wow. which uh, in which the filibuster is de- de- depicted as a, an act of political heroism <laughs> by the title by the title character of yes. fighting graft, and then the other uh, you know more recent in the in the sixties and the fifties too was the attempts of summer uh, southern democrats in the in the senate to uh, filibuster against civil rights legislation. Yes, and you know the democracy that we have is intended to recognize equal voices by all in the legislature and the filibuster gives it 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 changes that dynamic and and kind of rewards obstruction over debate. Now sometimes yeah. it's been used for good, sometimes for evil. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm correct, standing for hours speaking about anything and everything with the purpose of obstructing what's going on is no longer what the discussion yeah. about a filibuster is. Is it now just the threat of a filibuster? Please explain. Well, what it, what it is, is I mean, what, what you're referring to is what is, is often called the talking filibuster, uh, which is what you see in Mr. Smith and what you saw with the Southern Democrats. But over the years... The rules have been used in such a way as to have a filibuster occur without even uh, having to talk about it much because you can insist on voting cloture uh, to a debate on any legislation, on almost any legislation. Uh, and you have to have a three-fifths vote to stop debate and move along. But you can effectively use that as a weapon uh, to keep pretty much anything from being, being voted on. If you can't get cloture, um, then you cannot get the bill passed because that would be the second step. If you vote cloture, you then can go on to a limited debate and a vote, but, but cloture permits them to uh, basically throw a spanner in the works whenever they feel like it. And especially now with the 50-50 mm-hmm. uh, Senate, you have a situation where Senator Manchin from West Virginia uh, is basically saying, I don't want, I'm, I, I don't want the filibuster gone. I still want the filibuster. And, um, you know, that can be terribly potent because you have to have those 60 votes to get there. And it's very hard to get them because you'd have to persuade 10 Republicans to come over to your side. And these days they're in no mood uh, to do that. I was, I was just in, I was just in touch with a, a friend of mine this morning who's a 20-year veteran uh, of the Hill staffer. He worked on both the House and the Senate sides, and he he would say, you know, you could they they would filibuster against a uh, "Be Kind to Kittens" bill these days if if they felt if they felt it was against their interests, you know, and, and just or or out of just plain orneriness. Uh, and again, Manchin is from West Virginia. He's theoretically a democrat do, do you he what did this what's going on now is you know we're getting into the weeds a little bit but uh and you know very few people are familiar with the term cloture a lot more are familiar with the term uh, uh filibuster right but is is this a fair assessment the unwillingness of establishment Democrats like Senator Joe Manchin to support the For the People Act should infuriate every one of us, as one fundraising letter said. All progress is being held hostage mm-hmm. by one man. Manchin declared a few days ago that he won't support the For the People Act, also known as H.R. 1. What is this For the People Act? Un- uh, un- unless, unless the Republican, you can get at least one Republican 
to come uh, and support it, which he's not going to get unless it's completely revamped so heavily. I mean, the, the, the For the People Act, there are two, two relevant pieces of legislation uh, right now. And one of them is the For the People Act, as you say, and the other one is the John Lewis uh, Voting Act. Uh, the, the For the People Act basically is a very broad uh, campaign and, and voting reform bill that basically uh, – keeps tries to keep the states from passing bill, bills as you have you seen in the last few months in Georgia and Florida and Texas that uh, limit uh, that limit polling hours and days that uh, qua- uh, insist on strict voter ID laws that make restrictions on mail-in ballots absentee ballots it's very very wide ranging um, the, the John Lewis bill is more specifically oriented toward taking what you know what happened in 2013 with the supreme court in in the shelby county decision was that they got rid of uh a large chunk of the voting rights act from 1965 which basically said that a lot of these states including a lot of the states who are currently trying to make stricter voting laws that they had to be pre-approved by the justice department they couldn't be uh enacted in these states especially Mm. southern states unless they had the approval of the Department of Justice. And this was true for many, many years until 2013 when the Supreme Court uh, said that that was unconstitutional. So what's happening now is the uh, uh, John Lewis Act would be an act that would basically try and reinstate those provisions so that the states would have to have these uh, changes in voting laws approved by justice. And there's a lot, you know, that's going on in, in Washington. I never got elected to anything in Washington, but the average person... But you've been an elected official, you, yes. you know. Yes, oh, I know. But I'm trying to you know, make... I mean, how would the average person in the street... I think many, many people are shocked and outraged at really the assault on democracy, you know, by, by Trump insisting and so many Republicans somehow at least pretending to believe that the election was stolen, that it wasn't a legitimate election. And there's a lot of concern. And there are various different bills, a couple of hundred at least bills in legislatures across the state to limit Mm -hmm. voting rights. So how Mm -hmm. would would the For the People Act uh, affect this? And if if, if people care about actual democracy, what does it do? It would would actually override a lot of these uh, state legislative efforts Uh to quash the vote. It basically overrides that and makes it a, a, a makes the regulations on voter identification and voting hours and various other aspects uh, subject to federal regulation and not the states. And uh, so this is a you know this is a fundamental argument too between states or states' rights and the the rights of the federal government. But uh, you know as we've seen that they have used this whole notion. You know there's such an enormous number of people, sadly who do not uh, accept the election results and mm-hmm. who have bought these and have bought all this craziness that Trump has perpetrated and, and QAnon has perpetrated. And as a result, that's basically fed the fire for these elections, these new election laws that, uh, that quash the rights of everyone and to try as far as, as complete as possible, as completely as possible to, to keep people from voting. And when we say keep people from voting, they're trying to keep 
you know, people of color from voting. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much a return to the Jim Crow era, you know, when there was a poll tax and when and when people uh, wanted to register to vote, they were either physically kept from doing so or if they got as far as the registrar, they were told crazy things like, you know, recite the state constitution yeah. from memory <laughs> or, 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 you know, sure. name, name, tell me the number of jelly beans in this big jar on my desk. Or, or uh, you know, sign. Okay, you can fill out this form, but you have to sign it on this piece of wax paper. And it's like, whoa! Oh, the wax paper. Oh, the wax paper won't take your signature. Well, sorry, you know, uh, it's all that kind of stuff. This, this is a little more through the the legal channels, but it's no, it's 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 just right. as effective. Yeah, it's twenty first century Jim Crow. It's it's really mm-hmm. all it is, and <clears throat> many autocrats throughout the world fear their constituents saudi arabia Mm -hmm. places like that and they they don't want their constituents to be able to actually participate and have a meaningful voice and here in america though they the republicans in general and some democrats (coughs) they're likely to know better but they're focused on re-election and avoiding being Mm -hmm. primaried by well-financed Trumpist candidates. That's right. We got that. But the perplexing question of Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, both elected as Democrats, Manchin from West Virginia and uh, Sinema from Arizona, where do they come in regarding efforts to investigate January 6th and Biden's comprehensive, sorely needed infrastructure bill? What what is the role of just the threat of picking up this filibuster tool? Yeah, well, the... uh, in, you know, Kristen Sinema's case, of course, she's in Arizona. She's from Arizona, where we continue to have this insane audit going on of the votes in Maricopa County, which is just a total clown car disaster. Um, so there's that. And it's just Arizona politics being what they are. Yeah. Um, she's she's leaning toward the more conservative. But I, the thing with Manchin is you, you you have to remember that he's, he's from a state that went 40 percent by 40 points for Trump. Trump won that state by 40 points over Biden. And uh, he is currently the only uh, Democratic statewide official in in the state. So he's playing this game where he's trying to balance, uh, you know, his voters in West Virginia versus the needs of what he would say are the needs of democracy in the country. But what he's basically doing is that he's hiding behind the filibuster. So he doesn't have to make uh, a stand on anything that might offend uh-huh. the conservatives of West Virginia. So it's it's a very handy uh, shield for him to use to keep from having to make any hard votes that might hurt him back at home. Oh, so clever. So the Yeah. And the big fear, I mean, I'm not sure this is actually going to happen or anything, but I think the big fear among the Democrats would mm-hmm. be that Manchin would change parties and right. change over to the Republican Party, in which case there goes your 50-50 uh, Democratic majority, and there goes you know everything in the sense of of, of uh, getting anything done. Um, you know, and West Virginia has a history of this happening. Uh, governor Governor Justice, the Republican governor, was a Democrat mm. at one point and changed parties. And you know, I've had friends who've worked in West Virginia politics, and it's just this sort of crazy uh, teeter totter that goes back and forth between the two parties in terms of the governorship and the Senate seats. And also, you know, Manchin was a great protege of, of Robert Byrd, uh, Senator Robert Byrd, uh-huh, who, uh-huh. who held office there for so many, many, many 
years and did so by, you know, performing a balancing act that uh, kept getting him reelected, but but taking very conservative stands for a Democrat. Yeah, he he did. He was a very conservative Democrat and uh, but also did some uh, some good, fairly traditional Democratic things. Robert Byrne did. And it, it's also true that, I mean, in the uh, early 20th century, uh, it was the Democrats who were the segregationists, the racists. Yeah. And then when Johnson uh, approved the 1965 Voting Rights Act, they all switched. They all switched. So that was well, kind of where Robert that was mentioned. That he famous, famously, famously uh, Johnson said to my, my boss and friend Bill Moyers, you mm-hmm. know, that I, I think we've just lost the South to the Republicans. When they, when they signed the Civil Rights Act in 64, Johnson said, you know, I think we've lost the South for, for decades and decades. He wasn't wrong. Johnson was mm. often very right. A very yes. um, amazing politician who I think history mm-hmm. would record as a great president, if not for Vietnam. A little yes. bit of a problem there. For those, yeah, who, yeah. For those who may have just yeah. tuned in, Burt Cohen here. Uh, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And believe it or not, we picked this name before Trump got elected. But boy, democracy is really <laughs> under threat. And we're talking with uh, uh, Michael Winship, uh, a former uh, award-winning senior writer for Moyers & Company, who's written a piece on common dreams called uh, Address to Senator Manchin, Killing the Filibuster Won't Destroy Democracy, But You Might. And yeah. I, let me uh, let me just, by the way, quickly put in a plug for Common Dreams, which is a terrific website. Yes. And they have just done a rollout, a new, they've just got a new redesign, which is ah. quite lovely. They're, they're still working out some of the kinks and bugs, but uh, it's a really, really very attractive and readable and compelling website. So I urge people to check it out. And it's one of the uh, few that I uh, do my research on and find out. You know, well, I don't, yeah, absolutely. So I had heard that some poll recently had West Virginia voters actually supporting H.R. Uh, 1, the For the People Act, by yeah. a large majority. Mm-hmm. W- would it be a political suicide for Manchin to do the right thing and serve democracy, or could he... What's your sense of the political I, landscape in, in West Virginia yeah. with regard to this? I just... I, I, I You know, I, I've, I've seen those statistics myself, and I and I have to believe them, and I just have to think that Manchin is, A, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot, a lot of corporate money behind him. Right. And, uh, you know, so he's paying a lot of attention to that, and, you know, there's a certain amount of ego involved. Now, you know, he suddenly, he suddenly finds himself the, uh, the second most powerful Democrat in the, in the country right now, uh, arguably. And, um, you know, there's a, he has an ego, you know, that, that, uh, it's pretty boundless. And, you know, as a friend of mine, every, as a friend of mine says, every, every Senator has a, has hail to the chief on their, their ringtone and, uh, you know, and has a suit in their closet for inauguration day, you know? So, uh, yeah. the guy I wrote about Tom Reed, who was the speaker of the house yes. in, the, in the latter part of the, uh, 19th century he, he famously uh foresaw a time when the senate would determine who the president of the united states would be and the he, he talks about this imaginary site of the uh chief justice of the supreme court uh supervising the vote and announcing Whoa. to the surprise of everyone that there has been one vote for every senator <laughs> 
<laughs> voting for themselves as president. <laughs> I, I, who could believe egos and politics? No. Oh my God! What a concept. And I think another thing that's interesting is, is is just that you know we always think about Republican versus Democrat, but I yeah. think a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize that there's a very strong strain of House versus Senate on Capitol Hill. Um, there's there's not a lot of love lost sometimes between the two bodies. Yeah, and it's been said, as I'm sure you've heard many times, that the Senate is where good bills go to die. And yeah. That that happens quite a bit. <laughs> and I got to go back to what you just spoke about. There's a lot to talk about in this subject. It's a big one, and it really matters to democracy. The filibuster only exists in the Senate, not the mm. House. And one of my favorite authors, Barbara Tuckman, in her book, yes. The Proud Tower, as you wrote mm -hmm. about, said of one Thomas Brackett Reed, whom, frankly, I had never heard of, quote, and this is from Barbara Tuckman, Speaker Reed, in character, intellect, and a kind of brutal independence, represented the best that America could put in politics, end of her quote. Mm -hmm. Please tell us about Speaker Reed's, uh, who he was, his role as member of Congress from Maine in the late yeah. 19th century, and, and why she would say that about him, and how it relates to Manchin and the Democrats now. Well, he, he was an extraordinary character. Um, you, would have, you would have loved to have, have uh, yeah, sure. sat in his presence for a while, just because he was an amazing orator, uh, an amazing debater, uh, very fast on his feet, and uh, even, though the, uh, even though he was six foot three mm. and weighed 300 pounds, he, uh, he sort of typified that you often hear of the, in the Gilded Age, the, the notion in terms of body, body image that uh, being of a, a large size uh, indicated, you know, health, wealth and, and general well-being. So that you had people like William Howard Taft uh, uh -huh. when he was president, <laughs> so supposedly having had to have a, a special bathtub made for him. Uh, but Reed, supposedly a, a guy who watched him walking one time, said he makes the street look narrower. <laughs> he was he was so he was so large. So he was a very commanding presence uh -huh. uh, in the House of Representatives. And when he became Speaker, he was able to use his oratorical skills, his knowledge of parliamentary procedure uh and and just you know physical heft uh to to really make an impression and in those days of course the republicans were the more as you mentioned yeah. before about the democrats being the segregationists the republicans of course post-civil war and from the age of lincoln and so forth and so on were were very much in uh, on the side of, of the uh, of suffrage and um, yeah. you know uh, helping the the black populations of the South after the the Civil War try to become to, to become citizens to become voters and so forth and so on. So he was extremely gifted at that. And what happened was that the Democrats came up with this idea, which is known as the Quiet Filibuster, which was whereby they would just uh, create the absence of a quorum by not responding to a roll call. They would be, uh, they mm -hmm. would go down the road. They would insist, they would insist that every vote be a roll call vote. So when they went down the names of the various senators, and in those days, I think there were 76 senators or 78, uh, they would go down the roll call and, and, oh, I'm sorry, I'm little, I'm mixing up my Senate and my house, but the, but in the house, let me go back a second in the house, they insisted on a roll call vote for everything that was going through the, the House. So they would go down the roll of all the members, uh, and the Democrats would pretend not to be there. 
And right. so there would not so there would not be a quorum. So forgive me for for muddying the waters there for a second. No. The House, but the House. So they would they would say they were not going to vote. You know, they would not say that they were present, so that there would not be a quorum. So what <laughs> what Reed did was basically say, "Yes, you are here. I can see you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking over there, and I see you." Yeah. And so, so as I as far as I'm concerned, you're here, and we have a quorum. Now recognize too that the Republicans. Much like the Democrats in the House now, the Republicans had a very small uh, majority in the House of Representatives, only a few votes. But Reed was able to say, look, you're here. Don't even try and tell me you're not here. I can see you. This led to much wailing and pounding of fists and desks and uh, great uh, outbursts of indignant rhetoric from various House members, one of whom tried to break down a door to get out, Uh, others of whom hid under their desks. Uh, but Reed, Reed won out, and thus that uh, quiet filibuster was put to an end. Well, I believe that's happened in Texas, too, where Democrats walked oh, sure. out, d- denying yeah. a quorum. So how does all this relate to Manchin and the Democrats right now? Well, it's, I guess my point, part of my point is that uh, they, they like to point to the filibuster as being part of the grand tradition of democracy, and it's really not, you know? Uh, it's something that they fell upon and that they embraced, but that has been moved around and changed by both parties. I mean, Harry Reid did it in the Senate a few years ago. It's right. been, it's been altered. It's been twisted. It's been, you know, eliminated. It's been brought back and so forth and so on. But there's nothing, nothing in the Constitution that says anything about a filibuster. And uh, it's, it's really, you know, look at all the state legislators, legislatures. I don't believe any of them has the filibuster. Uh, and they they still manage to to pass legislation, good, bad, or indifferent. But you know, it's not it's not uh, something that's that's chiseled into the Constitution like it was one of the commandments. Right. It's just not, you know. So that Mansion used, as I said before, Mansion is sort of I think hiding behind it. Yes. Uh, to 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 keep from voting on things, and um, you know. He's, he keeps claiming that if he all you have to do is, and, and he thinks he can find them, Republicans who will side with him. Some of this stuff, we can get this legislation mm. passed. But I don't think you know. There's, I don't think any of the Republicans, with a couple of exceptions, Romney, for example, are in any kind of a mood to support anything that the Democrats want. Yeah, yeah. Getting reelected is always more important than yeah democracy itself. And is this an exaggeration? To say that uh, that uh, democracy itself uh, is being held hostage by by Manchin, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a, a, at all an exaggeration. Um, and we're in a very difficult position because um, you know Biden came out swinging, came out strong, uh, was able to get the the the, the uh, COVID relief bill passed, that huge COVID bill passed along party lines because he was able to bring it in under reconciliation uh which you know allows financial bills like that to to only have to have uh, a 51 vote majority uh-huh. which they get by having the 50 democrats 50 republicans and then the democratic vice president kamala harris in her role as president of the senate casting the, the tie-breaking vote so that's how they got that through and then they've been rolling out all this other stuff, as you mentioned, the infrastructure bill and the, the voting rights bills and, and various and sundry other things. And um, they just 
There's, I mean, first of all, I mean, I totally understand Biden has, has so much on his plate yeah. right now. And there's there's so much that needs to be repaired from all the horrendous damage that the Trump people did over the last four years. That's just a huge, huge task. Um, but I think the voting thing is absolutely vital because if it doesn't happen, if somehow some version of it doesn't get passed and passed very quickly, you're going to have a situation going into the midterm elections next year where the Republicans, between the uh, restrictions on voting itself and the gerrymander, because we were entering into a period of redistricting from the uh, 2020 census, um, that they could possibly, you know, take the House back, take the Senate back, and then we'd be up the creek, you know? Yeah, and then they they clearly, uh, it's amazing to me how uh, they're pretty open about their... Uh, De- yes. Lack of respect for democracy itself. They, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, they, uh, they want to have. They actually want to replace a republican form of government with religious nationalism. There's been a few mm. books written it about seems that. To be, yeah, and uh, an, auto- an autocracy. Um, I yeah. mean, and it goes to the immediate thing right after the COVID bill. Of course, was this this uh, January sixth commission right. that they wanted to get passed, and they defeated that. Uh, and eleven senators didn't even bother to vote, uh, so which is just wow. you know, which is just shocking, you know. And and uh, the idea that they're afraid to investigate themselves because God knows what's going to come out um, is is it's a problem. I wonder if we're how close we are now at, to a point where one can't compromise because the other side is a seriously ratcheted up threat to democracy itself. I mean, there yeah. are times where you have to stand and fight. There are times where mm-hmm. good comrades, sometimes you got to stand and fight. So totally. are, how, how close are we now to a point where, you know, the, the I, Democrats just can't even bother to try to compromise because well, I think, democracy is under threat. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree. And I, and I think, I think we've got the rest of the year. If that to try and get some of these things enacted, uh, it's possible with HR one, um, S one in the Senate, um, there's possible that it could be broken down into its constituent parts. And you could have perhaps four separate bills, uh, made out of that massive bill and get some of that stuff passed. It's possible. You know, I, I know it's a cliche to say, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, but you know, this, it may have to come down to that. And ultimately, what it's going to have to come down to is in 2022, we just all, I mean, everybody's going to have to work very, very hard to elect Democratic candidates to increase the majority in the Senate, to increase the majority in the House. Uh, And so people like Manchin um, are no longer relevant because they can't can't screw up the works. That would be an you know, interesting point. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, well, I was just going to say, you know, with FDR, we, we, we talk about the New Deal yeah. and all the things that FDR managed to accomplish, but he, he was able to accomplish them with large Democratic majorities in both houses. Yeah, you know? a huge so. difference. And 2022 mm-hmm. is as important. People, I, I'm sure you've heard oh, this too from yeah. from a- average voters say, well, I vote for president and, you know, that's enough. But yeah. it's as important in 2022, absolutely, especially this year, I think. For yeah. those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about filibuster, mansion, 
as threat to democracy, really no exaggeration actually threatening democracy. Uh, you may know uh, a friend of mine who writes for the Boston Globe, James Pendle. He said mm. in, in the Globe, he said, while he might not be everyone's favorite Democrat, ensuring that he remains a Democrat should be the top priority of any progressive. We're talking about Manchin here. Politically mm -hmm. speaking. I, I actually read that piece. I, I know the piece you made. Yeah. He said mm -hmm. he is, after all, a Democrat representing a state that went for President Trump by 40 points. Every time someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez criticizes him, Manchin doesn't likely wince, but asks an aide how they can get yeah. the quote on a future television advertisement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so it, it seems like it's good for him politically to have AOC criticize him. Uh, but what about that? And what about the damage to democracy as a result? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he also, in that same article, he, at the very end, he talked about, he, he doesn't think, he doesn't think that Manchin is, uh, about to, to switch parties. He, he, because he's been meeting with civil rights groups and gun control groups and his staff is talking to the white house and he's been with, you know, Sandy, Randy Weingarten rather from the teachers union and stuff like that. So that at least, oh, you know, terrific, yeah. yeah. Uh, so at least publicly he's, uh, He's reaching out to to, to other uh, progressive-oriented groups, but uh, I think it's a real danger because it does happen. I mean, you know, it happened uh, with Bush with Jim Jeffords uh -huh. uh, in 2001. Jeffords uh, changed parties. Uh, Joe actually became independent, but he caucused with the Democrats. Uh, the, that brought the that brought the Senate into uh, Democratic control for a while, at least. But uh, yeah, and, and and while we're on the subject of uh... AOC, who's, uh, boy, for a first-term member of Congress, she's doing pretty well. She's got some real power. Uh, she suggested that Manchin's opposition to the proposal and filibuster reform may actually be about measures in the bill aimed at cracking down on lobbyists and dark money. Yeah. See, oh, what entirely, do you think? Yeah, I think she's, I think she's onto something. Wow. I think she's totally onto something. I mean, she is, you know, she's in her second term now. I think she has established herself as one of the the, the guiding lights oh, of the yeah. party now, the progressive wing. She's incredibly skilled. Yes. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I think she's right about that. So if people are interested, as I think a lot of people are, in getting dark money out and, uh, and uh, you know, having, returning democracy, keeping it away from the... Uh, uh, the the big powers that that pretty much own and control it now. This is a a big issue. Do you think Manchin knows? I've never met the man. Do you think he knows how much damage to democracy his vote to keep the filibuster might be, and that he he just I, doesn't care? I I I think that his you know we were talking about senatorial egos a few minutes ago. Yes, I think he's so. Uh, thrilled to be in this position of influence and power that the possible ramifications for democracy and representative government just don't bother him that much yeah <laughs> you know i really think that i mean I, you know mm, uh, it it amazes me but you know i got it from my feeling is i i and John F. Kennedy, of course, wrote that book about uh, profiles and courage. And I, mm -hmm. I really think when constituents see their elected officials standing up uh, and taking a stand, 
They may be afraid to do that, but I, oh gosh, I think it works. I really, I mean, maybe not well, all the time, but go ahead. Yeah, no, there was that, you know, that study. I think it was Dan Gillian at the University of Pennsylvania, or maybe not Dan, but there was that study that was done a few years ago where they compared the email traffic that came in to uh, various members of Congress's uh, offices and discovered that the people who were campaign donors, uh, as opposed to the ordinary person who wrote asking about something, they got a much quicker, better response. Absolutely. You know, because they'd given money to the campaign. And I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. Uh, it's, it's a constant. So there's aspects of the of the bill, the HR uh, one, uh, that might mm-hmm. actually affect the uh, the money problem, the Citizens United yep. situation. Tell us about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, it's just I mean, it, it basically cracks down. It, it restores a lot of the stuff that you know, McCain Feingold, the uh, McCain Feingold bill did back a long time ago, post Watergate. Yeah. You know, yeah, ancient times, post Watergate. And, you know, it was, restores a lot of that. Uh, and again, it's the Citizens United decision from the Supreme Court. Uh, that was one of, the, one of the big Supreme Court decisions that has really hurt campaigning, which is that, you know, basically said that corporations, as, as, as Mitt Romney was fond of saying, corporations are people too. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and basically said, you know, they have the same First Amendment speech rights that any other American has, and they can pump in as much money as they want. And we all see how well that's gone. Mm. So. Yeah, and if corporations are people, uh, when is the death penalty going to be applied? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. T- you know, Trump is gone, which is, I love hearing myself say that. But, uh-huh. but Trumpism continues. In a mind-boggling rejection of reality, Trumpists cling to the big lie that he won the election and that therefore the insurrection of January 6th eh, wasn't so bad as to need a commission to investigate. As you point out, in the immediate aftermath of the attack, Mitch McConnell and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy were vocal in their criticism Mm -hmm. of Trump for the Trump-led assault on democracy itself. A few months later, as you write... Now, like serial offenders, they and their colleagues have returned to the combination of self-abnegation and abject groveling before the addled former guy, without whom they believe all their power, influence, and money would be sucked away. End of your quote. Do Republican legislators know it's a big lie, but kiss up to Trump anyway? What's going on here? What's your understanding, your explanation of this inexplicable? I I think they do. I think that you alluded to the fact of of their... They're afraid to be primary. They're deadly afraid yes. that they're going to be primaried by somebody who is a, a mouthpiece for Donald Trump. They're, they're scared to death of that. And they're scared to death of their money drying up, their campaign contributions being, you know, diverted to a more Trump positive candidate. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I think some of them in their heart of hearts realize what's going on. But again, like with with Manchin, they, they ego rules over, you know patriotism and uh it's it's just uh extraordinary that is extraordinary um and i I always find it interesting that losers of elections often talk about oh let's heal the divisions yes let's unite the country such Mm -hmm. amorphous words are intended to pretend that the election was not won by the other side to deny to deny the winners a chance to actually enact their agenda. As you write, Manchin and Cinema insist that any legislation must be bipartisan. 
what were the conditions when that notion might have worked, and why is it impossible now? Well, I tell you, I, I grew up in, in upstate New York, up in the Finger Lakes. <clears throat> and in those days, um, I mean, it, it didn't seem like we would ever have a governor other than Nelson Rockefeller. Right. <laughs> uh, and Nelson Rockefeller is where the, you know, the, the, the phrase Rockefeller liberal sure. comes from. Yeah. Um, I often said that I thought, in some respects, Barack Obama was an excellent Rockefeller. Oh, interesting. I think, yeah, I uh, You know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I grew up with him being the governor of New York State. Now, he was a very liberal Republican. And the party, the Republican Party at that time, held different factions yeah. fairly, you know, and there was certainly division and, and discord and so forth. But, you know, he ran for president the same year that Barry Goldwater ran for president and won right. the Republican nomination. And there were a lot of people, Mitt Romney's father, George Romney. Uh -huh. There were a lot of a lot of liberal Republicans. There were a lot of conservative Republicans and there were a lot of far right Republicans, but they were able to, to make it work fairly well. I mean. That's really how we got the 1964 Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act mm. was was the Republicans coming to the fore and, and working with uh, liberal Democrats um, to get those bills through. Why then and not now? Well, I think, you know, partly uh, in, in terms of some of it, I mean, Johnson, we've been talking about LBJ, Johnson was such an incredibly oh, yeah. imposing and effective <laughs> politician. If you listen to the... Uh, or read, you know, Michael Beschloss, the historian, has published two volumes of the uh, Johnson tapes from the Johnson White House mm. from from the moment he became the president in 1963 uh, up through at least, I don't know, 66 or 67, I'm not sure. Um, but those are fascinating aspects of power well, he was and a how power is too. used. Yeah, he, he was he, a very, yeah, physically. oh, there are great pictures of him, like, towering over people. Uh, and then and then bending back as he bends down and over them, uh, yeah. I mean that that was part of it. Part of it was just too that there wasn't. I mean you gotta you gotta say it. I mean we we didn't have this uh, constant deluge of right wing media. We didn't have this constant uh, between you know social media and Fox News and OAN mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Newsmax. And then, you know, local and national radio that just is hammering a lot of this cascade of lies over and over and over again. And yet, I mean, certainly Biden is no LBJ. I think he's he's picked up a lot of things because he's been there for a while. He knows his stuff. Yeah, um, he does. And he is a very good negotiator, I think. And, mm -hmm. you know, Obama, frankly, wasn't. I think he caved way too early. If he, I mean, mm -hmm. but he never even claimed to be a liberal, whereas Biden certainly appears to be in that tradition. But mm -hmm. I, I wonder if Biden's style might be able to affect mansions and others' uh, opposition to these important bills, the For the People Act, and so many other things. I, I, I wonder if, uh, I mean, he knows how to work the Senate, my goodness. Oh, yeah, no, you couldn't, he has all that experience in the body, and he knows everybody. Yes. And, um, you know, I mean, there is a school of thought. I, I was read, read it reported in the Times yesterday and a couple of other places, basically people saying, you know, it's, it's hard to know necessarily what's really going on in terms of who Biden is talking to, when he's talking to them whose arms are being twisted, what's being said, what's being promised. You just don't know with him. Uh, it's possible that there's been lots going on that we have no idea 
but uh, we'll just have to see how this plays out. I'm a little skeptical of that, yeah. but um, but you know, I'm willing to to see. But we can't we can't wait very much longer. We really we only have a very 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 small window here. Yeah, especially with uh, 2022 breathing down our necks so soon. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. And there are other big issues that are endangered by the threat of the filibuster, including, well, as you mentioned, campaign finance, voting rights reform, revamp of criminal justice and law enforcement, immigration mm -hmm. policy, and gun control. I wonder sure. if you could say a little bit about these efforts that uh, that uh, filibuster uh, could be a real block to getting well. Gun. Well, uh, just a reminder that when, when Joe Manchin was first elected to the Senate, a uh, special election after the death of, of Senator Byrd, when he was first elected, he had an ad that showed him with a gun uh, blowing up a piece of gun control legislation and uh, touting, touting the support he had received from the National Rifle Association. So, you know, here's another case where he's not exactly predisposed to supporting gun rights, uh, to supporting uh, rather a change in gun rights to fix licensing, to fix background checks, to fix all these things that need to be done that we see being, you know, we see being, uh, we see affected by people being murdered every single day uh, by weapons. It's just like this. And it's just, uh, it's criminal and it's horrifying and it's nutty that you have a state like Texas where they're, Oh, you know, giving you permission, giving you permission to have a handgun without any kind of licensing or training or any of that kind of thing. But but you can't, you know, but if you're a college student, we don't want you to vote. I mean, it's just wacky. Yeah, it is. Here we are in uh, 21st century. Who'd have thunk it? And yeah. ba back to Manchin, you know, he talks about reaching across the aisles. Senators are good with their wordsmithing, that is for sure. They have good staff mm -hmm. people, as I'm sure you know quite a few of them. He said recently right. he'd, quote, seek bipartisan compromise, no matter how difficult, and to develop the political bonds that end divisions and help unite the country we love, end of his quote. Somehow I'm reminded of George Orwell's doublespeak in his dystopian yeah. novel, 1984. Aside from the pretty words, is Manchin's action not doing exactly what he says he's against, which is no. making divisions yeah. worse? I mean, I could hear Mitch McConnell make that same speech, you know, basically. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's a, same, it's a very effective Republican tactic to make things like voter suppression sound like a defense of liberty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, oh, par for the course. Yeah, it is doublespeak, and people learned a lot from that. And Washington, mm -hmm. Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin uh, mm. wrote recently, she opined that perhaps not now, but eventually the pressure will intensify on Manchin. He will either be known as the man who defended democracy in its darkest hour or the man who helped Republicans subvert our democracy, end of her quote. I wonder, yeah. is she right? Is that realistic? What would be the dynamics well, of know, what would make that happen? To, I know. To, un unfortunately, she wrote that, unfortunately, she wrote that a couple of days before Manchin's uh, op-ed appeared in the Charleston uh, Gazette in his home state, right. in which he seemed to be absolutely adamant uh, about opposing, as you said, the voting, opposing the, the uh, voting rights bill. 
and well, not the John Lewis bill, but the S one R H H R one support. You know, he was he was adamant in his opposition unless there was bipartisan support, and he was adamant in his continued support for the filibuster. So it was pretty firm and definite. But you know, you just don't know. You don't know what goes on. Uh, I, I would pray and hope that there would be some possibility of, of change that he'd have some road to Damascus moments, sure. you know, but I'm not very hopeful. No, I mean, you know, he, he does what his, uh, what he thinks his constituents want. And mm-hmm. I just, I'm not sure why the heck these guys are so terrified of, of Trump. Is it because of the money mm-hmm. that may be raised by, by a, 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 a primary threat? Yeah. Well, and it's just, you know, this sort of fanatic, fanatical cult of personality that yeah. has risen up around him. I can't help but think, though, that if everybody would just stand up as one and say, go away, yeah. that, you know, just, you know, be gone, that, 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 you know, despite the disappointment and anger there would be among a number of people, if everybody just got up and said it, that it would go away. I mean, I keep hearing stories about people who are jockeying for position to run for the Republican nomination in 2024 on the assumption that Trump is not going to run. But, you know. Who knows? Uh, yeah, exactly. The guy, I mean, you yeah. talk about ego and crazy and uh, oh, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And, mm-hmm. and you're reminding me, my, my dad had often some very wise words. He said about bullies, you got to stand up to them. You got to be well, ready that's to right. take your lumps. And it, it works. It does. It's true. And there's the, uh, again, for those who just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Live. We're talking about Keeping Democracy Live with uh, Michael Winship, a senior writing fellow for Common Dreams, who was uh, award-winning senior writer for Moyers and Company. Senator Manchin, killing the filibuster won't destroy democracy, but you might. Uh, now, getting into the weeds even deeper, if we dare, <laughs> uh, in 1949, the Senate made invoking cloture more difficult by requiring two-thirds of the entire Senate membership to vote in favor of the cloture motion. In 2005, a group of Republican senators led by Majority Leader then Bill Frist proposed having the presiding officer, who was then Vice President Dick Cheney, rule that a filibuster on judicial nominees was unconstitutional as it was inconsistent with the president's power to name judges with the advice mm-hmm. and consent of a civil majority mm-hmm. of senators. Senator Trent Lott, the junior senator from Mississippi, used the word nuclear to describe the plan. So it became known and has been ever since as the nuclear option. The term right. thereafter has come to refer to the general process of changing cloture requirements through the establishment of a new Senate president by simple majority vote, as opposed to yeah. formally amending the Senate rule by two-thirds vote. I've heard rumblings that using the cloture process may be a way to get around Manchin's filibuster blockade, and that perhaps mm-hmm. perhaps uh, Manchin is aware of that and sort of playing both sides here. What do we know it's, about that? It's I, I really, in all candor, I really don't know a lot about it, but... Um, you know, I posited it to uh, a friend of mine on the Hill, and um, he was dubious. Uh-huh. Uh, he thinks that the, uh, the, the, the depth of the uh, Republican uh, refusal to deal with anything uh, that might harm what they perceive as the party at this point is not likely. But 
Who's to say? It again. Yeah. There's a lot of weeds yeah. in that uh, Senate building. That yes, for sure. And uh, I think you were. I think you're referring to it, it was the Mona Charon. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was. She was suggesting that it would be uh, possible to uh, change the Electoral Count Act, which is the the bill that uh, uh-huh, basically set more of the standards. It sort of you know it sort of took off from what was in the Constitution and made clear supposedly the process by which the Electoral uh, College determines the president and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I don't think that's likely. And, again, from Mona Charon, the Electoral Count Act of 1887, uh, let's hear it for the staff people who dig that stuff up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, she... Uh, I think it was, she said, this law blissfully ignored for most of its history, with the exception, of course, of a couple of law, law review articles, was passed following the contentious election between uh, Hayes and Tilden. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. entirely possible that Tilden actually won in 1876, yes. a context yes. that was so close that it did threaten to tear the country apart just mm-hmm. after the end of the uh, the war against Southern independence. The law, mm-hmm. by many accounts... You know, Reed was involved in that. By oh, no, I Thomas don't. Thomas Reed was very much involved in that. And uh, uh, made a lot of legal arguments uh, uh, in, in behalf of Hayes. And um, they said that people lined up around the block, around the Capitol, to be able to get inside and to hear uh, Reed uh, when he cross-examined. Uh, I'll bet. But, yeah. But a lot of this stuff comes out of, you're absolutely right, a lot of this that Sharon's talking about, a lot of it sort of evolves out of the 1876 Tilden Hayes election. Yeah, which was incredible. And there's a, a very good book I read about it years ago by the late Gore Vidal, 1876, which I know. Oh, yes. Really yeah, good stuff. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. yeah. Did, did the, does the filibuster threat, looking back to the Hayes-Tilden election of 1876, does the threat pretend a way to set aside the verdict of the election. The verdict was clear. Seven million votes. It ain't close. You know, Biden yeah. won nicely. It, the filibuster mm-hmm. threat, is it a way to set aside the verdict of the election? And, and sure, that's what well, Trumpists would like. Yeah. But what about the Republicans? I, and I, I, I don't know what they, you know, for sure what would happen in that situation. I think, I think more attention is being paid right at the moment to these changes in state election laws, which you know, part of the part we haven't talked about this part of it, but one of the aspects of a lot of these states' election laws that they're trying to revise is to create a situation where the Senate, the state Senate, could overturn the results right. of an election that didn't go their way. Right. It could be that a Democrat, you know, clearly wins election to whatever. And the Republicans in that state's legislature say, well, you know, we don't care. We're overthrowing it because we believe there were voter irregularities. Right. You know, so here we go again. I mean, it's just down the rabbit hole deeper and deeper. Oh, goodness. Uh, and not all the Democratic senators, it's not just Manchin and, and, and uh, Cinema. I, I'm not even sure about the New Hampshire senators. If they're ready mm. to abandon the filibuster, mm-hmm. what sure. is what is their reasoning? I mean, it has to do with democratic power in the future, right? Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, the, the, the fear, the, the argument has always been made, well, if we get rid of the filibuster for our own benefit, um, say in two years, the majority changes sides over to the Republicans right. and they'll just be able to turn around and use it on us. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's possible, totally possible. But I think, you know, we could survive without it. As I said, uh, the Senate's the only body that has it. 
Right. And, uh, I, I, I think somehow we would muddle through. There's always hope, sometimes ridiculous hope. <laughs> <There's>, I mean, <laughs> we did get Trump out of there. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but that's the other thing. Go ahead. That's the other thing, Bert. I'm sorry. The other, the other thing about this that we, we talked about a little bit is that we just, you know, we have to increase these majorities in the House and Senate. We have yeah. to work and work and work yeah. to increase these majorities to a point where an attempt by a single person like Manchin or two like Manchin and Cinema, where it won't have the effect that they would seek because there'd be far more people who would outnumber them. So, Yeah, the numbers do count. Elections have... Uh effects actually yes and you know a lot of groups are fundraising about this issue back and forth mm. there's a group called democratic victory they sent out the filibuster has to end if democracy mm -hmm. is going to survive i don't mm -hmm. know if, if they're exaggerating and you know you you end your essay saying that dropping dropping the filibuster gives patriots a chance to save the republic what mm -hmm. can people do i mean it seems to me if people from all over the country write to uh mansion it's not going to matter he just wants to hear from his own constituents no from his constituents right absolutely so what uh, what can people do well uh i think right now they can they can be organizing and getting ready to volunteers on campaigns for 2022 that's one big uh, thing yes they can be contributing money to candidates they favor for mm -hmm. these things, mm -hmm. uh, from the from the state house to the to the uh, White House, right? And uh, that's that's that. Those are the two major things. I think you know, now that the pandemic, we hope is yes. is largely sure. behind us, that people can go back to canvassing door to door and and ringing doorbells and yes. knocking on doors and and talking to people. I think all those things uh, are totally necessary and you know i've done quite a few campaigns myself and going door to door yeah. always mattered and now that you mentioned sure. it i think now more than before you know in the before times as someone said uh people are going to be happy to see somebody at their door like yes ah, that's the a good pandemic point. Yes. is over no. yeah we, yeah exactly we can do it we are not powerless if people want to i mean uh read more of of your stuff and keep up with you i guess the best place to send them to on that internet thingy is uh common dreams right yeah absolutely and if you uh if you go if you find one of my pieces you can just click on my name and it'll take you to the uh, entire archive it's, it's nice. It's not common drive, common yeah. dreams. That's mm. nice when it when it works that uh, efficiently. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in a, a dictatorship is the most efficient form of government, but we we still prefer democracy. I think we yes. really do. Yes. Thank yes. you so much. Always a pleasure oh. to talk to you, Michael Winch. Thanks, Bert. Good to talk to you. Likewise. Deep in my heart, deep in my mind, deep in the depths of my ego, deep in my breast lies a treasure chest, a world that only I can know. You may criticize me, try to analyze me, put me in your little pigeonhole. I'll still hold the key to the place where I am free, a world that only I can control. Deep in my heart and deep in my mind and deep in the depths of my ego. Deep in my breast lies a treasure chest, a world that only I can know. I can love you dearly. 
like and loves you long and loves you well. But I must have my own song, only me can sing, my own tale that only I can tell. Deep in my heart, deep in my mind, deep in the depth of my ego. Lies a treasure chest, a world that only I can know.